His title this week, and the title that I am using this week, is a question. And it's a question in the first person. It's a question that we probably need to ask ourselves on a very, very regular basis. The question is simply this, am I generous? Am I a generous person? Am I generous? We're going to learn that there's a battle that goes on all the time between the idea of generosity and selfishness. And sometimes selfishness manifests in a way that we are really good at not calling it that. We call it other things. And the idea of generosity goes beyond just us giving something, whether it's our time or our talents or our treasure and finances and other material things. It's part of the process that every single one of us as believers should be going through and developing as we become more Christ-like, as the Holy Spirit works in our life. And I say that because God is a generous God. Extravagantly generous God. Just think of his unconditional love that he gives of us, pours out to us. What an amazing gift. Just think of him offering his son on the cross for you and I. Something that we totally did not deserve. Something that could have been accomplished no other way other than the generosity, the extravagance of God. And he has been that way for eternity. We can see it when we get the revelation of the first history that we know about in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, there's a few verses that we're very familiar with. And it's where we read these words where it says, don't eat of that tree. Because when you do, you'll surely die. Now that is unbelievably important to hear, right? But we miss something that's almost as significant in the verses right there around it. We get a picture, I believe, of the generosity of God from creation. And we also get a picture of generosity and immediately selfishness showing up. I'm going to read a couple of verses in Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 9, and then I'm going to jump to 16 and 17. And again, most of these verses are very familiar to most of us. I realize that. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant in sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. And again... I believe the emphasis is usually on the last part of that verse. Don't eat of that tree, because when you do, you shall surely die. A negative consequence. Absolutely true. Absolutely important. But it can steal the importance of what preceded it. And we see this picture. Look at the verse where it says, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. And in verse 9 it said, Every tree that grows is pleasant to the sight And it's good for food. Every tree is pleasant to the sight and good for food. 
God didn't give us just one kind of tree and one kind of fruit. You know, he could have just said, you know what, I'm going to put one tree over here, and that tree is going to have some fruit on it. It's going to be really, really good for you. When you eat that tree, and only eat just as much as you can, you know, as you need. Don't overdo it here. And it's going to have such nutrition, you're going to just live a healthy life because of that one tree. That would have been okay. That would have been fair, right? And it even could have been a kind of ugly tree if he wanted it to be ugly. But he didn't. He created this multitude of trees, all pleasant to sight, all beautiful to look at. Pretty good probably to just sit in the shade of. And he says, the fruit on all of them is going to be good for you. It's going to give you nutrition. Now, it doesn't list the trees, but if you have a good imagination, or if you even have an average imagination, Man, can't you just see the, the trees in full blossom? All their leaves, the beauty of the, the apple trees, the cherry trees, the plum trees, the pear trees. There might even been a pineapple tree. And if I missed your favorite fruit, you imagine it being there. All these amazing trees. And then he says, not only are they good to look at, eat as much as you want. Eat freely of these trees. He didn't try to limit it. He didn't just give it to us to meet this nutritional need we had. He gave it to us to enjoy the pleasure of it, to look at it. The generosity of God, even in the garden. On the flip side, immediately in this same chapter in these verses, We see selfishness rear its ugly head. Satan comes along. And he says things. I'm paraphrasing. Really? God's holding back from you. There's more you could have. He's being mean and strict. He's withholding from you. You deserve more. As soon as generosity was manifested in the garden, selfishness shows up to try and take control. And we know what happened. Eve took of the fruit. She saw, because God had said it looks pleasing, she saw that it was pleasing. She saw that it was good to eat, and she took of the fruit from the one tree. The one tree, out of hundreds or thousands or who know, millions, who knows? I don't know. A lot of them. She had to have that one. Because she believed the lie. Greed, selfishness, got in play. So the question we need to be asking ourselves continually is, am I generous? Am I generous or am I selfish? And before we jump to the conclusion that I'm not selfish, we need to understand some ways that selfishness can manifest in our life. Because it can manifest in a lot of different ways. The scripture we're going to be looking at this morning is in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. John chapter 12, 1 through 8. And I'm going to be reading it from the New King James. I believe that's what will be on the screen. Again, familiar story. Actually, Jesus is nearing the end of his life here on earth. His crucifixion is just days away. 
And he's come back to a house that he stopped at often of people that he truly loved and had truly loved him. He's at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And it says this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper. And Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with this fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said to Judas, let her alone. She has kept us for the day of my burial for the poor you have with you always but me you do not have always. It's really a pretty amazing story, one one that we're familiar with, most of us. And what we see here in this story is two different hearts, a heart of generosity and a heart of selfishness. And I just want to Reaffirm the reality that, you know, we all struggle with this. All at different levels, yes, but there is an ongoing battle in our hearts. And if you don't believe it, just think back or even think forward. The next time someone says, you know, I would really like you to give this amount. I need some of your time. You're really good at I could use your talent and gift. Could you come and do this? And right away in our mind, what starts playing? Uh, I'm I'm really busy. Lord, are you sure I heard your voice? Or they're just trying to use me. We go through these mind games on our own because there's this battle taking place. And the reality is, are we going to be generous with what the Lord has given us? Are we selfish? Which is it? Look at the gift that Mary gave. It would probably be considered extravagant by most all of us. Remember in those days, they kind of reclined at the table. And it's interesting to me when we read those scriptures, we're told twice that Lazarus was there. One who had been raised from the dead, which tells us very clearly what? He died once. Right? But he's there at the table too. And Martha's been serving. It makes it appear that the meal is probably about over. And they're still reclining, fellowshipping. And here comes Mary with this unbelievably expensive oil. Fragrant oil. And she comes over and she opens that jar or whatever it was of oil, this container... And pours it on Jesus' feet. Pours it out. It's gone. The smell is in the air, but the oil's now gone. 
and it was worth 300 denarii. Now, in those days, approximately a day's wage was one denarii, one denarius. So what we're looking at here is a year's wages. So what makes this gift seem extravagant? Well, the value of something that we give away really depends upon the the financial value, if you would, of our, our financial condition. One of you may give a gift that only costs a few dollars. You don't have many dollars. Another one could give a gift of a few thousand dollars, but they have a whole lot of thousands of dollars. It's hard to determine what is extravagant when we look at it from that perspective. But if we just back up and say, I want every one of us here, including me, to give one year's wages in the special offering that we're going to have. Now, if you took me seriously, you're probably already scared, already nervous, and you're already cursing me under your breath. One year's wages, no matter what it is, is a lot of money to me, to you. Whether we make $20,000 or $200,000, it doesn't matter. If it's a year's wage, it's a lot of money. So what we're looking at here is this gift that Mary gave that was valued at a year's wages. Imagine yourself buying some expensive oil. Now, we'd be smarter. We'd just call it an investment because it's probably going to go up in value because it's so rare and special. But now imagine yourself dumping it on my feet just because I like that. Some of you don't have enough hair, but you dump it out. It's gone. You aren't going to be able to put it back in the bottle. It's gone. A year's wages. Then it becomes like, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. What an extravagant gift. When I read those scriptures, there's at least two questions that come to your, should come to your mind or could come to your mind. One of them would be this. Why in the world did Mary do that? Why would she do that? I mean, seriously, if I have a jar of oil that's worth a year's wages and it's really fragrant, wouldn't maybe just a third of it been good enough? Maybe a half. It's certainly not the whole year's wages. Why did she do that? We'll come back to that question in a few minutes. The next question that you might have is, why did Judas get so upset? What did he care? It wasn't his oil. What's he complaining about? When we read those verses, we see clearly that his motives weren't pure. What did he say should have been done? Well, he should have said something, he said something like this. And I predict that more than one of us have said something like this numerous times. Why didn't we take that oil before she dumped it on Jesus' feet and sell it for 300 denarii? Could you imagine how much good we could have done for the poor? How many times have you or I said that? Not looking at our stuff, of course. Of course not. We're looking at somebody else's stuff, just like Judas was. 
Why would they spend so much money on fill in the blank? How can they with a good conscience spend so much money on that? I mean, anybody ever thought, boy, if I win the lottery, I won't be like those fools who lose it all. I'm going to just give it all to the church and feed the poor and the hungry. Yeah, how many have said, yeah, some of us think that way. I think it's probably as big a lie as what Judas said most of the time. And it's interesting to me that wherever you see generosity, you almost immediately see selfishness trying to gain control once again. Look at verse 5 again. Why was the fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And then Jesus, we hear these words. John says, not that he cared for the poor. He didn't care for the poor. Because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in the money box. Judas didn't care about the poor one bit. He was pretending to care for the poor. He was trying to do something that sometimes we do as Christians. He was trying to sound really spiritual to cover up some really poor motives. I can't believe she's given that. I can't believe you buy that car. I can't believe you'd build a house that big. I can't believe you'd do that when there's poor people out there that we could all be feeding. I am so much more spiritual than you guys unless you want me to sell my car or house. Then I have a problem with that too, right? And this is what Judas is doing. He's pointing the finger, covering it up with some spiritual deception, and but his heart is being revealed. It's selfish. He wanted that money in the money box because he was stealing from the money box on a very regular basis. And, you know, and I would love to think that I'm the only one that's got this problem, but I'm pretty sure I'm not unique. Have you ever looked at a brother and sister in Christ's material goods that said something selfish? I mean, for goodness sakes, there's only two people living in that house, and it's 4,000 square feet. They don't need that. And you could just as well drive my car as one of those $80,000 trucks, pickups. What's wrong with those people? Don't they care? What a waste of money. Anybody think that way? I wish I could afford the same clothes they wear. I'd look better. Now, there's a real deception. <laughs> I don't think the clothes will help. But we're so good at being like Judas, the guy who betrayed Christ. We come up and act this spiritual giant compared to those proclaimed Christians who are spending all that money on stuff they really don't need. I think it is a trap. We see this. We wouldn't necessarily call it selfishness, but if we would unmask it a little bit, we could certainly see jealousy and envy and probably greed. It's like the illustration that Robert uses in the video. 
And he's talking about a guy who has this humongous house. And the passenger in his car says, look at that house. And Robert said, yeah, isn't that an amazing house? They're part of our congregation. They go here. And the guy riding with them, who happened to be a pastor, made a comment. After which, sheesh, he could sell that house and feed the poor. What that guy didn't know, and if you need to watch the video, Robert decided he needed to minister to that man. And he did, very bluntly. But the point was, this man had given away over 50% of his income for years and years and years and years. And if you or I could move into that house, we might do it. We need to guard our hearts. Selfishness. We can be just like Judas. And it's just interesting as a quick sidebar, something for food for thought that Robert brought out was, why in the world did the Lord, the leader of this group, have Judas in charge of the money box? We know from Scripture that Jesus knew one of his 12, he put it this way, as the devil in you. I believe he knew full well that Judas' heart was not in the right place. Why would he give him the money box? Well, I think that we are often tested to discover where our heart is. We're not necessarily all given a money box, but money is a great test. We face that test over and over and over. But we're also often tested, and I'm saying tested intentionally, and I'm not saying tempted. Because the enemy will tempt us. God will never tempt us to sin. But sometimes it's hard to tell what it is because God will test us in those areas of our weakness to give us an opportunity to succeed, to overcome, to have victory. Do you think Jesus gave and allowed Judas to have the money box to tempt him so he could practice sinning? So when it came time to betray him, it'd come easier? Of course not. Of course not, right? I believe that the Lord would giving an opportunity to overcome and experience success. And we're tested all the time. In this area of generosity, selfishness, we're tested all the time in so many different ways. Again, excuse me, just a reminder, we talk a lot about money because it's easy to measure, but we are tested with our time and our gifts and talents just as often, maybe more. And what we do with that is equally important to the Lord. Money can be a really big test. Anybody notice that? I had a friend. I have a friend. Well, he's not a friend anymore. I guess he's an acquaintance. I haven't seen him for decades. Went on mission trips. And we met him on a mission trips. He lived in New Jersey, worked in downtown New York. Matter of fact, he was so generous, he paid for two of my mission trips, I think. Sent the whole computer system to us when Luke was a baby because he thought Luke might have trouble learning because of the stroke that he had in, in uterus. One holiday season, one Christmas season, he sent a package that contained an all-expense-paid trip to Disney World. Everything paid for. Great guy. Amen? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love a friend like that? 
But what I discovered in just knowing him and relating with him wasn't anything about him, but it was about my own heart. And I remember saying so many times, and probably to Cindy, but I'm thinking this so many times. I know I've told other people this about me. I think the Lord knows that I probably couldn't handle that kind of prosperity because I found myself thinking, God, what would I do if? It's easier for him to do because. If I had as much money as him, I could do this too for people. Just selfish, selfish thinking. And it was like God revealing the heart that was in me, not him. And I think we all face those tests on a regular basis. Why was Judas that way? Because he was selfish. Let's go back to Mary. Mary comes to Jesus with this gift. And really, we need to think of this gift more as an act of worship. She came with this gift, this expensive gift, as an act of worship. And her heart was filled with gratitude and love. We know that Mary and Martha and Lazarus loved Jesus before Lazarus died. We can just read the scripture, see the stories. He'd been around them a long time. And we know Mary and Martha both had a real good heart and love for the Lord. We can look at the story leading up to Jesus coming and seeing that he was dead. But as is pointed out, I believe, very intentionally by the writer in, in the Gospel of John, two different times that Lazarus, the one that was dead, was reclining at the table. Lazarus, the one that had been raised from the dead, was sliding at the table. Can you imagine, no matter how much Mary and Martha may have loved the Lord before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, I'm guessing it went to a whole new level. A whole new level. Can you and I imagine a family member being raised from the dead. By God. What would that do to our gratitude towards the Lord? What would it do towards our love for the Lord? I can't, I can't imagine that it would not increase dramatically. Mary, I believe, her heart was so filled with gratitude. And as a, again, another little sidebar won't go down, but... You and I, every one of us that have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, or have had family members accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have been resurrected from the dead with Christ. The Bible's clear. We died with him, we were buried with him, and we arose with him. Our hearts should be so filled with gratitude if we just truly understood what God delivered us from when he sacrificed his son. Our hearts would be exploding with gratitude. Exploding with gratitude. And I believe this kind of gratitude, at least in part, it was what caused Mary to be so willing, I'm sure eager and happy, to make this extravagant gift to the Lord. And I think most of us would agree it was kind of extravagant, right? A year's wages, that'd be pretty extravagant. 
If any of you start giving me and the church a year's wages, we would probably say, ah, boy, they're extravagant givers. But you know what? We'd be measuring it in a human way. What do you think, how much does a gift need to be worth? How much time do you need to surrender? How much do you need to use your gifts and talents to impress God? That he would look and say, wow, what an extravagant gift Mike just gave. What if you were one of those that the Lord spoke, I want everything you got. I want you to write one big check. Cash in your retirement funds, your 401k, your savings account, your checking account. Trust me and give it to me. Just write one check. Would that be extravagant in the eyes of the Lord? Come on, don't be shy. You know you're being set up, right? And if you watch the video, you know you're being set up. You know, Robert does a good job. If you want to look in Revelations, don't do it now. I believe it's chapter 21. You're going to be able to read about New Jerusalem. When New Jerusalem descends from heaven. It's an astounding picture that God paints for us in his word. It's this big cube. I forget, 1,380 miles tall, wide, deep. But then it describes it, and it says the foundations are built. There's 12 foundations, one for each of the apostles. 12 foundations made out of nothing but precious jewels. Now just think about this for a second. How many miles? And the foundations are all precious jewels. And he says the city itself is made of gold that's so pure it looks like glass. And then it says the streets are paved with that same gold. It says the gates on each side are made up of a single pearl. I don't know how big those gates are, but that's still a big pearl. And whatever we give in a monetary sense is going to impress God. Good luck, right? It's not. But do you know there is an extravagant gift that we can give the Lord? You know, there was a time when Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. And he was making reference to the Macedonian churches. And he starts out by saying the Macedonian churches, it was a tough time for them. It was a tough time. Food, finances, it was tough. And then it says, but they gave an abundance out of their poverty. But he starts that by saying this first. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. I think it's first, Second Corinthians 8, I think. 8.5, maybe. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. That is the extravagant gift. We have said this in past messages as we're going through this blessed life and trying to stress that it's all about the heart, the condition of the heart. You know, Mary's gift was pretty extravagant, but you remember the story about the the, the widow with the two mites when Jesus kind of slaps the Pharisees and religious people in their face? They're all giving out of their abundance. He says, but that little lady there, that one with the two mites, the two pennies, she gave more than all the rest. It was all that she had, all that she had to live on. Total trust and total confidence in the Lord. 
giving her whole heart to the Lord. That is the gift that is extravagant in the eyes of God. It's not the amount. What she gave was just a demonstration of her love for the Lord. The two mites were nothing but a demonstration of that widow's love for the Lord. It's all about our heart. Then the beauty of all of this, and I shouldn't even say it that way, but there is a benefit because God rewards generosity. God is a rewarder. Does everybody know that? God is a rewarder. Matter of fact, let me share a scripture with you. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that is he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I believe specifically here he is talking about those who come by faith and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and he will reward you with eternal life. But I believe also it's who he is. He is a rewarder. In Matthew 26, where this same story about Mary is written, it says this in verse 12. It does not written in the Gospel of John, but it says, For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Think about that. In God's eyes, this gift was so precious that God rewarded her with this story, her story being told at least 2,000 years later. And I believe it will continue to be told till he comes back. He is a rewarder. Now, how many of you think Mary had this all figured out? My Martha's servant, she's over there thinking, you know what? I got this oil. It's pretty good stuff, and it's really expensive. And I bet if I put it on the Lord's feet and dry it with my hair, I'm going to be rewarded for doing such an amazing thing. I think all of us know that's ridiculous, right? Never entered her mind. That wasn't in her heart. She gave out of gratitude her love for Jesus. You know, generosity doesn't give to receive. It just gives. Spurgeon told a story pastor, a theologian, told a story once about a very wealthy king who ruled over an entire kingdom. And in his kingdom, there was a gardener. And this gardener just grew vegetables. And one year, he grew the biggest carrot he had ever grown. And matter of fact, in his mind, there was no way he could ever grow a carrot that big again. So he went to the king with the carrot And he tells the king, Lord, I grew this carrot. It's the biggest, best carrot I've ever grown in my life. And because I love you and respect you, I want to give it to you. So the king took the carrot. And as the gardener turns to walk away, the king says, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I discerned your heart. 
And I can see from your heart that you are a good steward of the soil. I want to give you this big plot of land that you can grow crops as a blessing, as a reward. Well, part of the king's court, one guy was standing there and he heard all of this. And he thought, oh my goodness, for a carrot? What would the king do if somebody gave him something way more valuable than a carrot? Well, this Lord raised fancy horses. And he had the most beautiful black stallion he had ever raised. And he thought, I'm going to give this stallion to the king. So he goes to the king and he walks to the king and he's leading this beautiful, majestic black stallion. And he says, my Lord, this is the best and the greatest, the most beautiful stallion I have ever raised. And because I love you and respect you so much, I want to give you this stallion. And the king discerned his heart. So he took the reins of the horse and turned and walked away. And he stopped and he looked back at one of his noblemen. could see that he was perplexed. And he says, what's wrong? Lord, you gave the guy with the carrot a whole bunch of land. I give you this horse and I get nothing. And the king said to him, the gardener gave me his great carrot. You gave yourself your horse. He discerned his heart. We don't give to receive. We give out of gratitude, out of love. And we give, and God gives, God rewards for some of the things that we, we, we probably don't even know and understand that he's rewarding us. He rewards us for our time. He rewards us for using our gifts and talents. There was a couple that were on a trip and they went into a restaurant. Happened to be at Denny's. They were going to eat breakfast. And you can imagine at Denny's, just off the interstate, it's a little packed. And the couple walked in and there's a long line of people. And they discover, hmm, there's only two ladies working outside of the kitchen. They're bussing the tables. They're running the cash register. They're seating the people. They're taking their orders and delivering their food. And their thought first was, we're going to be here forever. Should we just leave? But then they watched these two women, and they were amazing. Amazing, and their countenance was pleasant. And they were cleaning tables, running to the cash register, greeting people. It was amazing. And in no time at all, this couple was seated. So they asked the waitress, short of help? She goes, oh, God, we're so short of help. Today there's just two of us working the whole floor. I said, yeah, I see that. That's amazing. How do you do it? Well, we just do it. And it's my day off. And she says, I worked one day last week. It was my day off, and it was only me and the general manager working here. And we had, they, they, they looked at him, and, wow, that's amazing. Can't get staff. No, can't get staff. Pleasant, smiling, all you can imagine. 
And it came time, and the food came just like that. It was quick. The bill was like $22 or something. And they thought to themselves, we need to give her a tip. Not for how she waited on us. She came to work. She's willing to work. And she's pleasant and she's happy doing all this work. And they gave the biggest tip in comparison to the bill they'd ever given. They gave her a $50 tip for a $22 bill. Needless to say, they said the waitress was pleasantly surprised. God rewards us in a like manner. He looks at things differently than we look at it. Your time and your treasure and your talents are all blessings from him. And he promises he will reward those who diligently seek him. Kind of summarize and close here. I I just want to... There's characteristics of a generous heart that I think, I hope that we've picked up as we're going through this series. But I just want to reiterate them. Number one, people who understand that everything belongs to God, first and foremost, are able to be generous, truly generous. They're able then, therefore, the number two, to hang on to things loosely not grab a hold of it and it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. I'm going to hang on to this loosely because I'm just a steward and if the master wants me to pass that on to somebody else, I'm all in. I'm all in. And I believe the third thing is people that are generous are overwhelmingly thankful for what God has done. Done in their lives. The most extravagant gift of all time, his son, And I believe the more that we allow God to direct our lives and the closer that we walk with him, the more generous will we become. And I believe that because the Holy Spirit is at work in every one of our lives, transforming us into the image of Christ, into the image of God. And God's a very generous God. He is generous. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as you search my heart, as you search our hearts, Holy Spirit, do you reveal those areas in our lives where we've certainly not demonstrated generosity? When you've given us opportunities to, to steward things that you have blessed us with, including our time and our talent and the treasure. Or when we've looked at other people and spiritualized ourselves in such a way that we can't understand how they could be so selfish. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us and give us your heart. Help us when we cling on to the stuff of this world, the materialistic stuff of this world that one day will all burn. Forgive us when we hang on to it so tightly we miss those opportunities to be a blessing to others that really opens up the windows of heaven for us to be blessed by you because you're a rewarder. So, Lord, I pray that you would give each and every one of us clearer understanding and revelation of the amazing gift of Jesus to us, that our hearts would be like Mary, overflowing with thankfulness, gratitude, love, and out of that would pour generosity. 
Father, we pray that in all that you entrust to us as your stewards, we would be faithful stewards. And that we would use all of those gifts to bring honor and glory to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I let you run, I just want to make clear. When we go through series like this, sometimes we feel like we're preaching to the congregation that's already generous. The generosity of so many people here is just overwhelming. The generosity that's been poured out towards, for example, Bob and Wendy and the financial need that they had. Overwhelming generosity. The church has never lacked for funds, finances. The number of you that volunteer and serve and use of your time is amazing. Generous people. But it's challenging me to realize that we can be more generous. Make sure that selfishness never wins. That generosity always wins. Amen. Have a great week. God bless.